0: Uh, we, we started last week um, discussing the grand reopening of um, of uh, the world I guess, you can say everyone can hear me? loud and clear? ok, so the grand reopening um, and uh, I think everyone's, I mean I don't know, I can't speak for everyone but somewhat, some hesitancy um, specifically, again, as we discussed in past weeks, that just because economically we might be required, and even halakhically from a halakh perspective, required to open certain segments of society because economically we have to survive, doesn't mean um, that we have to be opening the, the shuls and the places of learning um, from a halachic perspective. One has nothing to do with the other. Um, they're two different issues. Again, the, the economic issue is an issue of survival. Um, the, the, uh, which, which again, is also pikuach nefesh. Over there you have pikuach nefesh versus pikuach nefesh. and There's pros and cons, and you have to weigh the pros and cons of each side. Society versus individual, as we discussed in the past. When it comes to davening in a shul um, or things like that, rituals, it's a totally different question because, again, they're not required um, for survival. No one's going to say going to shul is is required for survival, and therefore the question there becomes: Is should we be risking our lives to attend services? And as we said, it's just um, it's becoming actually more prevalent within, uh, at least in the Eastern Jewish community. Almost everything is open now, at least in the Orthodox uh, world. Um, all the shuls are open, they're all having indoor minyanim, there is officially social distancing, some more than others. Um, from what I hear, people are more or less keeping uh, to the rules. Um, they are being strict about it, but I, I haven't been to shul myself, so I can't tell you firsthand. Um, from what I've been seeing in the pictures and and hearing from the rabbis, who they have been calling to discuss with me, to discuss it, um, and asking advice. So. You know there is social distancing taking place. Um, again, I, p- my personal opinion, I'm leaning towards the side of at least for me personally not going to shul, probably till Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. As a matter of fact, I have yartzeit tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow night is my father's yartzeit. Obviously, usually go to shul, we say Kaddish and Shabbos, I give a kiddush. Uh, this year, I made a decision not to do that, um, even because my brothers, two of my brothers are going to shul, saying Kaddish So. Um, so, so that's, in my personal opinion, that's where I'm at. I still am not rushing to shul. I'm very happy in my house, me and God alone, um, we have a good relationship. Um, so uh, I'm happy staying home. Um, but but it is a question that I think has to be discussed and I want to discuss it in a in general way and then we'll get to the particulars of shul. But, so one of the key things, that people by the way have been calling me because I have been advising some rabbis in town, um, so, people know that, and, and I've been getting nasty phone calls from other people who believe it's ridiculous. You know, why aren't we opening full? And, and why are people concerned? Why are there even social distancing? One guy called me, actually a physician, believe it or not, embarrassed to say he, uh, he told me he's not going to shul. So I said, Why? You're, you're nervous. He said, No, I think it's ridiculous. The show that he was, the specific shul he was talking about, has eight feet between each chair. They put in a certain amount of chairs and they have blue tape. They put in eight feet. He says, until they go down to three feet between chairs, he's not going to shul. It's ridiculous, Where they get this rule, this ludicrous thing of eight feet between each chair. They're just doing it arbitrarily and, and it's ludicrous. And he's not going to shul because he's protesting because they're too strict. So that's why he's not going to shul. Um, he thinks they should just completely open and should be regular services. And this is a physician, mind you, an emergency room physician. Emergency medicine physician. So obviously, there's a <laughs> there's a lot of opinions both ways, to both extremes here. Um, uh, this guy spent a long time on the phone. We were arguing back and forth. Um, he believes, you know, it's it's. He's not saying coronavirus doesn't exist, but he believes that it's, uh, you know, it's a lot less dangerous than the flu, etc. He gave me the whole. Um, thing, so so again. Then this is a physician, so that becomes another question: Is who gets to make these decisions? This is the physicians, pediolo- uh, epidemiologists, rabbis, and how that works? So we're gonna, again, we're strictly, and we're going to get back to that, but strictly from a halachic perspective. Um, opening shul, and and again, this is very important to, to you know, talk about a little later. But the level of what's considered an acceptable risk in society at large. And what halacha considers an acceptable risk might not be related at all. So just because doctors, and even you know, informed doctors, um, are saying that we could, we could open up, but again, they, do, they, do we necessarily go with them when they don't understand the halachic principles of um, the Chai bahem of, of and the Spikoch Nefesh, etc., and the danger to life? So again, we're, we're not talking about society at large. That's something that may be necessary. But specifically, I'm addressing, again, services, uh, shuls, the places of learning, where um, clearly that was, as we know, a, a seed of infection in Israel. At least, it's said like one out of four, or, uh, or three out of four, I don't remember the number anymore, people who were infected were um, came from shuls in Israel initially, that's what this contract uh, contact tracing showed Um, so so clearly shul is a place of of learning, by the way my son who just went back to yeshiva on Sunday um, in upstate New York they have no social distancing, he's back in yeshiva he's learning with harusa, he's in a dorm two guys in a room, um, zero precautions I told him, you know, if he comes home if he wants to come home afterwards I said I'm not concerned about your safety you're young and healthy it's your decision he's 18 years old he's an adult he Can make his own decisions but you ain't coming back in this house unless you quarantine for two weeks uh, when you when you come home so those, so he's there I have a feeling they're going to be closing down at some point in the near future when someone gets it in his yeshiva um, so I just think it's stupid on, on the part of, of his yeshiva my actually my brother just called me screaming this morning why And I call them and scream at them and uh, So I said, listen, I'm not, not wasting my breath. They're not going to listen to me. Uh, meaning, call the yeshiva. I should call the administration of the yeshiva and scream at them. He said, you have an obligation. That you cannot stand idly by while your brother's blood is being shed. You have to call them and say something. So, uh, whatever it is. that, But I'm saying is, in, in many places, in New York camps are opening. My daughter is going to camp in Indiana this summer and the camp is reopening. Um, the only thing so far they stated differently is they're not allowing um, campers to fly to camp. You have to get come on a bus from various cities, which of course is not in Houston. So she's going to have to fly to either New York or Chicago, quarantine for two weeks, and then get on a bus to drive to Indiana. Or we have to drive her. Um, but otherwise, once, meaning their point is once you're in the camp, um, the camp will be on lockdown for they're not having any trips, no one's allowed in or out. So, so uh, at that point, no one can get it. So, you know, I went yesterday, I went to a plant for my kosher business. Um, no social distancing whatsoever. The only thing is at the gate, before you come in, they take your temperature. So, the society is, is completely open. I think social distancing is uh, it's almost over, to a large extent. Um, and again, the question is from a lock of viewpoint, where, where we stand on that specifically again got as we really like the show I'm gonna show you two things I got this week. Let me see if I can do this here. Um some things I get I just saw yesterday. Um here one second let me open this is just an a from the New York Times. Give me a second here. I'm gonna share it on the screen. share screen see if you can see this this is from a personal views of epidemiologists again that is not for public they interviewed um, 532 epidemiologists um, 511 sorry and about when they personally will start doing these activities which is interesting to see most of them, obviously, are very strict. I, again, I have two nieces are actually ep- epidemiologists. One is very involved in Corona studies in Mount Sinai, in New York. Um, she also has, I don't think, leaves her house currently. But this is just to look at their response. It's just interesting to see. You know, going to a mall, what they're going to do this summer, three to twelve months a year, never again. Um, so, again, there's obviously various opinions, but you see more or less what the, the majority is in the blue areas, right? Um, attending a dinner party, I to, I don't see if they have church, going to church here, but exercising in a gym, it's just interesting to see their views, I'm just going to scroll down here. Attending a wedding or a funeral, 17 say they'll, they'll go this summer, 42 say that maybe in a year they'll go to a wedding or a funeral. Attending <laughs> church or religious service, again, 13 say the summer, 43 say 3 to 12 months, um, 43 say in a year. So that means these people, and I'm sure some of them are Jewish, so many of them are Jewish, are not going to Shul Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur um, this year. 43 out of the 511 um, for another year even. Okay, so it's just interesting to see, again, this is not a, this is not something they're saying for the public, they were asked personally what they are doing. Okay, it's just interesting to see that. So I'm going to go out of that. If anyone wants me to send it to them, let, let me know. And then show you one other thing I saw today. One second. This is... Let me see if I can make this bigger. Oops, no, no, no. You actual size. Okay, this is something else. Um. Okay, Mm -hmm. give me a second. Working on it here. Oops. Screen. Good morning, Manny. Okay, so this is another. This was from a WhatsApp, so I don't know if you can see such small letters. But this is um, four Michigan health experts assess the risk of various activities. Let's see if I can make that bigger. Can see you now. Um, based on a one to ten scale, ten being the riskiest. Um, so this is a different thing that they rank. Um, And church services, I think, is an 8. Yeah, churches, which means going to services, is is an 8 on the risk scale of 1 to 10. So again, this is from uh, the University of Michigan, I believe, a ranking that they did uh, this week, which is interesting to see. First of all, tennis, by the way, is the lowest level risk. So for those of us who play tennis, um, it might be risky at your age in other ways. But as far as coronavirus is concerned, it's very low risk in playing. The lowest risk is in playing tennis. Okay, golf is a three. Tennis is a one. Um, Gyms are level eight. Churches, yeah. Churches and synagogues are level eight. So, it doesn't... (laughs) I don't play either. I also, that's why I don't go to r- gyms. Gyms are risk level 8. I haven't gone to a gym in 10 years now. I foresaw this. And uh, that's why I don't enter gyms. Anyway, okay, so that's, um, that's that. If anyone wants me to send me this information, send me an email and I'll send it to you. Let me go back to... regular screen. That's true, okay. Okay, so I'd like yeah. Um Yeah, that's what barbecue is. Yeah. Um okay, so uh, sharing mon- monkey gland sauce is, is very high risk. Bless you. Okay, so uh, so okay, so let's get down to some of the halacha. So so the first thing um I'd like to discuss, I'd like to start off discussing something we've discussed in the past, but never in this context. So one I was saying, people call me with nasty phone calls, saying, why aren't we opening, etc. So, excuse me. So, one of the, one of the when you're do- talking, the problem is when Orthodox Jews are calling you. So some of them are knowledgeable, some of them are rabbis, and they're making all types of halachic claims to try to convince you. Um, they're not just coming from uh, what they Google. So, so the one of the issues was came up was Shomer Pesayim Hashem, which is something we've discussed. Principally we discussed in the past. I'm going to explain it. Which, as we know, there's no question. Danger to life in halacha is a, is is very important. It's a explicit pasuk in the Torah. We learned that you're not allowed to self. self endangerment is prohibited. This is really the question here. Can I go to shul where there is some level of risk involved? Okay, should I be going to shul? So that's no question, as we know, self- endangerment is prohibited. But, there's a major exception that the Talmud discusses in at least four places, which is called um, uh, it says Kivon de Dashu beirabin. Discuss The Talmud is discussing certain types of danger, we'll, we'll say, mention in a second, what they are in four different places. It says Kivon de Dashu rabin." since um, we find that this has been shrouded on, that means that um, that, uh, one second, let me just see how it's translated here. Alright, so so since this is something that's been shrouded in God, it brings a verse from Teilim from Psalms, when King David writes in chapter, in Psalm 116, God guards the simple or the foolish. The little translation would be Shomer Pisaim Hashem in, in Psalms 116 verse uh, 6 it says, God guards the simple or again the foolhearted. Okay, and, and the Gamar brings that as a source that when something is done by society, even if there's risk involved, if it's part of everyday life, then that's not a problem. Okay, meaning we allow you to do it. There's a leniency in the risk. Normally you can't sell so the self endangerment is prohibited, but when it comes to something that is part of societal life in general and it's the norm, okay, then um, we allow it. And, and for obvious reasons, I think, um, we'll, get, we'll get to the reasons in a second, but it's, it has to be something that's regularly performed by the masses in society, and they're not careful about it. They're not concerned. Okay? Um, so the question is, and as we want to talk about how does that apply here to going to shul? Do we say that that's something that everyone's doing? It's society at large is opening, and therefore, even if there is risk involved, I'm allowed to take that risk, halachically speaking, because this is something the masses are doing. And it's part of normal everyday life. So typical examples be, before Corona would be, as we discussed many times, driving on the highway is obviously dangerous, um, um, many, right, the, there's, there's nothing really in life that's risk-free. As we mentioned, even playing tennis, um, in normal times, could be risky, right, there's a risk involved. You know, you, you know people break their ankles. Surely playing uh, tackle football is is dangerous. So almost everything in life, drinking alcohol, red meat, the list goes on and on. There's nothing really in the world that's risk-free. There's no activity that we do um, that's risk-free. What? Okay, so there's not one rabbi. This is, like I mentioned, it's discussed in four different places in Shaz, in, in the Talmud. Um, the one, the um, more famous case, is actually the Gemara in, discuss- in the discussion of birth control, of when birth control is permitted, in, in Tractate Yevamot. um, discussing different uh, different me- cases of methods of birth control. So the Talmud there says that uh, there are cases where birth control is required, seemingly maybe and over required, but it's allowed because there's a danger either to the fetus or the pregnant woman. Um... So, so they understood in those days. It seems like first of all that there was a possibility, and I looked. At, we discussed this medically also. There's a possibility, a small possibility, a low statistical possibility of becoming pregnant again, or even a nursing mother, who the concern is if she becomes pregnant will lose her milk. And then in those days they didn't have formula. So the Talmud says those cases, um, you're allowed to use birth control. Permits birth control for cases where again three cases where the mother's life might be endangered if she doesn't if she becomes pregnant okay, or the fetus life, or their child's life. So, so in that context, there's one opinion says it's permitted, the second opinion says no. All these things are done by the masses, meaning normal um, sexual intercourse between a married couple is a normal part of life living, and therefore, the Dashebe rabbi this opinion prohibits using birth control, even in those cases, where there's a statistical or, or a, a maybe a small inherent risk, because it's it's norm of society and God guards the simple. That's one that's one application where the Gemara discuss, uh, applies it. Does uh, one make sense to me? Well, we're going to discuss it. That's why we're here to discuss what that means. But it does, it makes no less sense to me than driving on 610, which is inherently dangerous. Or flying today, which people are doing. My son just flew to New York. There's an actual, there's an actual risk. There's no question in flying today. Everyone agrees. But it's part of life. we got to get back to normal life. That's what everyone's saying today. We agree there's risks. Many, let me just finish. Me, me, many people are saying today, we agree there's a lot of risks out there in opening society, but we got to do it anyway. This is part of life. we got to get back to business. right? So that's really what the was saying no different um, so, wha- so why is driving on 610 allowed according to you why would that be allowed Allah speak ah exactly so that's the question what level of risk are we talking about here that's a very good question So let me explain. So we got to explain why. It's a good question, meaning why is this permission? How does this make sense? But I'm saying is your question of specifically here, I'm not more bothered by those cases than the fact, and statistically speaking, by the way, I would venture out on a limb to say that driving on the 610 is a lot higher statistical risk than a woman losing her lactation when she gets pregnant. Um, I don't know the statistics actually for either one, but I would venture to say probably the risk <laughs> driving on 610 is a lot more. That's what I would venture to say. So so the question is, is it about statistics? Is it about what level of risk are we talking about? And why would we allow a risk just because everyone's doing it? So these are all valid questions. Not, uh, not your question is valid. I'm just saying as far as the comparison to driving and this, it doesn't bother me. Cause Playing tackle football is probably a lot riskier, uh, or going to uh, going to uh, protest for George Floyd is surely a lot riskier, in many ways, than um, than uh, than a woman maybe becoming pregnant a second time when she's carrying a baby, which is probably I don't know what the statistics on that are probably extremely low. So that so the the analogy in those comparing the comparative cases doesn't bother we still have to understand, it's true, why, why would this be a permission to allow um, one to risk their life just because society is doing it, okay? So, in the most simplest terms, so there, I found four different reasons in the commentaries as to why it would be allowed to explain this concept of God guards the simple. And what exactly is Yeah, well, th- they're all strange Gemaras, um, the, there's one, the Gemara, a different Gemara Nyavamas talks about the, that on certain days circumcision is, um, is dangerous. C- certain cloudy days, certain windy days where it could affect circumcision, which medically I don't know if there's any source to that, but in those days they believe that and therefore the Gemara says how could we allow circumcision on those days? The Gemara says since this is, everyone's doing it, everyone does it, and we see people don't get harmed in a real way, uh, so therefore, again, the Gemara quotes the same quotation, God guards the simple, that's another example um, it also talks about bloodletting on certain astrological times, where bloodletting would be dangerous, and the Talmud again there allows it Friday afternoon, it says very dangerous for bloodletting, because the sign is blood or something in the astrology and the Talmud says, but again we allow it, because of this reason, because it's the trident the Trident do it, and trying to think as if now the Gemara talks about eating grapes or dates at night, um, and the concern is that there are there um, that you can't see the fang marks if a snake bit it, and there might be poison in the grapes or day or, or dates if you're eating them in the dark. In those days, we didn't have lights, so so you shouldn't eat grapes or dates at night because there could be during the day you see if there's fang marks if any if any poisonous animal bit it bit into it, but at night it says the Gemara you shouldn't eat those. Um, um, but that the Gemara says, it's okay because Shem Everyone eats, everyone eats dates or grapes at night, and therefore you don't have to be concerned. Okay, so those are one of the, some of the examples that are brought in the Talmud. Um, so, so I'm going to read you first from. This is from uh, J. David Black. Uh, um, has an article. It's called the article is not about this really on hazardous medical procedures, but he do- goes on to explain, in, in his opinion, what the rationale for this. Is he says, um, the concept embodied in the dictum Shomer Psai Hashem is not difficult to fathom. Um, you know, it's not he disagrees with you shall he says it's not difficult willfully to commit a daredevil act. So normally one of the reasons you can't take risks in life, as we discussed many classes in the past, is you can't rely it's sort of like chutzpah you're asking Hashem to to put you in those statistics. One second, hold on. My, someone's at the door, hold on. How are you? Welcome. Thank you. In the middle of a class, you okay? okay? Yeah, sorry. Someone's at the door. Um, so he says like this, he says, uh, normally, why can't, why are we concerned with, um, with um, risks to one's life? One, obviously there's a biblical obligation not to risk your life for, and take care of your health that's the Pasuk in um, in, Dvarim, in, in Deuteronomy 4.9 and 15 which says in mm-hmm. you shall um, carefully watch yourselves that is one verse but there's also the concept of if you risk your life you're relying on a miracle you're asking God to say you know save me which is sort of like chutzpah who are you to ask for a you know, it's, don't put yourself in a day, don't go skydiving and don't ask me to save you right This in our scenario would be: don't go to shul and don't ask me for miracles. You shouldn't get corona. You know, it's like I'm going to shul to pray that I shouldn't get corona. Don't go to shul and you won't get corona, right? So, so that's part of the aspect, which is we don't rely on miracles. We discussed that in the past. Um, We don't ask God to treat us outside the realm of nature. If the realm of nature there's a, a substantial risk in the action you're doing, so then you're not allowed to do that okay so he says that's what he explains here he says it's sheer audacity for a person to call upon God to preserve him from calamity which he can himself avoid so meaning if I walk in the street and I don't look both ways before I cross the street and I say God will help me that's chutzpah like just look both ways and don't, don't rely on God to save you right if I smoke you know two packs a day you know, of cigarettes, and then I'm asking God I shouldn't get lung cancer, that that's chutzpah. Okay, therefore one may not place oneself in a position of recognized danger even if one deems oneself to be worthy and deserving beneficiary of divine guardianship. That principle is clearly reflected, okay. So he says, yet, at the same time, it is universally recognized that life is fraught with danger. Crossing the street, riding an automobile, even in horse drawn carriages for that matter, all involved statistically significant danger. It is, of course, inconceivable that such ordinary activities be denied to man. So he's saying you just, halacha recognizes we have to live normal lives. Halacha doesn't tell you, put yourself in the bubble like the the bubble boy in Seinfeld, you know, and live in a bubble your whole life and and never walk out of your house. Obviously, halacha understands we have to lead normal lives. Um, Such actions are indeed permissible since the multitude has stradden thereon, i.e. since the intended dangers are acceptable with economic, equanimity by society at large. Since society is quite willing to accept the element of risk involved, any individual is granted dispensation to rely upon God who, quote-unquote, preserves the simple. Under such circumstances, the person who ignores the risk is not deemed to be presumptuous in demanding an inordinate degree of divine protection. On the contrary, he acts in the manner of the simple who perceive no problem. Normal society, Eats red meat. Yes, you have a few uh, people vegans and uh, people who shop at Whole Foods who don't eat uh, red meat. But but normal society, healthy society, especially in Texas, eats red meat. You know, regularly. Okay, listen, not in moderation, of course, right? But we don't. We're not going to. Allah is not going to tell you don't eat red meat because studies show it is dangerous. It's true. There is a significant risk, and you could be lead, lead a much healthier lifestyle if you become vegan maybe, I don't know if everyone would agree with that, but let's assume, but it's not a normal life. You look at the people, they look depressed. I hope there's no vegans here. And if you shop in Whole Foods, all the people look to krakhen, to brachhen, to Right? So, so, there's, so there's a certain... halacha recognizes that we need to live normal lives. Part of normal lives is enjoy life, eat food, drink a little sometimes. You know, again, if there's a real risk, we're not telling you smoke crack, okay. That's obviously a lot prohibited. That's nothing, That that's not something that society at large does normally. Okay, but eating red meat, drinking some alcohol once in a while, having some good wine, that's, even though there are inherent risks in that, are actually... Done by normal, healthy, normal people. Okay? Um, he says an act which is not ostentatious, which does not flaunt societally accepted norms of behavior, and does not draw attention to itself is not regarded by Allah as an unseemly demand for divine protection. The risk involved may be assumed with impunity by an individual who desires to do so. Okay, that's the way he explains it. Does that make it better for you, Shell or worse? Um, so I'm glad you bring that up. Yes, yeah, so he has, Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein has at least uh, three responses that I'm aware of, where he was asked about smoking. Um, so the first one was actually written in 1964. The first question was posed to him about smoking. So 1964, which was pre-surgeon general's report. It's actually interesting. The date on the tshuva is Hanukkah 1964. I didn't go up and look at it, but the surgeon general's report came out in January of 1964. So I'm assuming either that ship was written probably like literally weeks before, I'm sure it was in the news, that certain Surgeon General is going to come out um, saying, with the reports, stating the dangers of smoking, and therefore they went and asked for motion. I'm sure it was based on that um, context, but again, bless you Neda, but um, that being said, it was prior to the report coming out, what it seems like from the dates. Again, I don't know the exact, it does, just says Chanukah. It doesn't say the date. Chanukah could be in December. Sometimes it can end up in January. I mean, not really, but. So it's the, the, again, the Surgeon General's report was January. Um, this was Chanukah of Tavshim um, Chavdalad, which again could be 63 or 64, though, right, as the Jewish year is only halfway through. So the new year comes halfway through the Jewish year. So that, that he says unequivocally, He permits it based on this principle, 100%, shall you correct? Based on this principle of Shem Epsom Hashem. At that time, smoking was clearly the norm in 64. Everyone smoked. If you didn't smoke, you were a prude at that time in 1964. Um, I hate, I don't want to insult anyone here either, but um, even my mother smoked, for God's sake. And uh, right, so at that time. So that was the norm. The normal was smoking was part of society. It wasn't viewed as dangerous. Um, as a matter of fact, as we know many, if you look at the old Life advertisements, Life magazine, you'll see, you know, they actually, uh, doctors were pushing it and saying it's good for digestion, it's good for this. So so there there was, you know, cigarette ads that were quoting doctors um, before the Surgeon General's report. Once the Surgeon General's report came out, obviously it took on a new level of, of statistical danger, or factual danger, that statistics would existed before but we didn't, maybe we didn't know about them. Um, and as time went on, the, the latest tshuva of Moshe was in 1981, we still didn't prohibit it outright. He said you shouldn't do it. He, did, he said it's, it shouldn't be done and no one should start smoking. Um, but he said, I can't halachically prohibit it based on the fact of Shomer Psaim Hashem, this concept that we're talking about here, which is that people, is done by society at large, and it's part of normal living, and smoking was, even in 81, by the way, that was when I was, uh, you know, I don't want to date myself here, in the beginning of my high school life, probably uh, somewhere around there, it was the norm, there was no such thing, everyone, everyone, it was part of normal society, today, uh, clearly times have changed, where it's no longer part of, as today, if you do smoke, um, you're looked at as, as a freak. Um, you know, in, at least in Western in American society. Once again, I'm going to finish my point. In those days, I believe, it was the opposite. You know, it's, I think smoking, and even in 1981, people who refused to smoke because of the health reasons is sort of the same level of people today who don't eat red meat. And I am not trying to put them down. It was people who are looked at, you know, okay, he's a health freak. At that time, if someone would... You know, tell you come over to you and put out your cigarette and, and say tell you not to smoke in public. They were looked at as a radical. Um, I think times have changed drastically. And today, on the, like we're saying on the contrary. Today, if you pull out a cigarette in an airport, you'd, you'd be arrested, and handcuffed and and put you in a chokehold. Right. So so uh, so times have drastically changed. I think and and. Therefore, many, many of the contemporary posts can say even Ramosa Feinstein today would prohibit smoking without question in today's day and age. It's only then where he had this concept that was part of normal normal life, as we're saying, and therefore that allows it, because that was part of the uh, pleasure of life, just like eating red meat was taking a cigarette after you eat the red meat. Shelley, what were you going to say? you're a radical. <laughs> it's a matter of opinion. 100% what you're saying is correct and that's why we has to be defined better as to what the rationale behind it is and, and statistically how does it work. Is there a statistic where we say now it, it changes. Um, by the way, most other post even even in times where emotion prohibited, there were post that did prohibit smoking outright, even after emotion permitted it. Um, many in Eretz as well, it says Eliezer, said outright it's dangerous and it's prohibited. So, so there clearly was a difference of opinion, even as you're saying, it's a judgment called bad smoking. And how much. and Ramosha by the way says I believe I don't have it in front of me exactly what you're saying in one of his responses he says he's, he's actually writing to Dr. Rosner who says listen I work in a hospital I see sick people who smoked every day so, Ramosha writes them. listen, you're a doctor, you work in a hospital, of course you see sick people, that's your job. So he tells him, he says, but most people who smoke, we see, don't get sick. And exactly what Shelley's saying, is that's why he doesn't prohibit it outright. Again, he strongly condemns it and says it shouldn't be done. And he says in a public place, you have a right to tell the person to put it out. Like in a base medrash or a shul, at the time, in 81, this before was laws against against smoking in public, public places, indoors, um, but but he he does say what you're saying if you look around he again he's, I don't know if he's working with the scientific statistics but he's saying most people we know smoke and many big rabbis smoked at the time and they don't get sick so so the question is where do you draw the line and what's the statistic so I'm going to I'm going to tell you first we're going to I'm going to start with like I said I saw I've seen at least four different rationales to allow uh, not to allow smoking to allow why what the the logic is behind behind this concept of god guards the the um simple so again the first one i believe is similar to what we're saying is that in, uh, any activity that's routinely done by members of society and not perceived as dangerous that society doesn't perceive it as dangerous right we no one we don't perceive driving on the 610 is dangerous we don't perceive eating red meat as dangerous we know there's risks involved yes everyone in the back of their mind you get in your car you put on your seatbelt. Um, because you know there's, there's, there's danger involved in driving. But driving itself is not generally perceived as a, as a real risk in society, unless you have teenagers at home, um, right? So, so therefore, it's the normal custom of the world, and despite the fact that there are risks associated with their action, we still are going to permit it. So what this first explanation is saying is that even though there are statistical risks, right, if we look at, at, at driving in Houston, there's no question there's going to be statistical risks and, and you can look at them on paper it's not an issue the only issue is and we're saying even though we know about the statistical risks it's still permitted based on this concept of Shomer Pisaim Mashem, that God guards the, the simple okay that's number one that's uh, explanation number one explanation number two is um, from a, a book I've I've seen quoted it's called The Divri Malkiel I don't know exactly when he lived, probably uh, talking 60, 70 years ago, he writes that the principle is based on the fact that in in the case he's understanding, we only permit shomer HaP'sai Hashem to take risks, he says, when the statistical risk is so low that is it's considered negligible from the halachic pr- perspective, meaning halacha deals with risk in many different scenarios. For example, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but I'm, I'm as you know, I'm in the kosher business. One of the key concerns in kosher, and I don't want to I hope everyone ate breakfast already. Is is that there are insects in many of your produce? The Torah prohibits insects that are not kosher. But it doesn't mean every time I eat a blueberry, I have to cut it into four and look at it under a microscope and try to see if there's an insect in it. The Torah understands, the Torah tells you if something is known to be infested, then I have to go ahead and check it. So it's based on statistics. Um, for, so, for example, romaine lettuce is something that is known to have a very mu- a lot of infestation. So that's something, halachically speaking, biblically speaking even, you couldn't eat it unless you checked the romaine lettuce before. That means you either washed it off very well, you looked at it under a light, to see, and, and believe me, I've seen it's a lot of protein in your, in your romaine lettuce. Lots of protein. Okay, so now, but things that have very low statistical uh, chance of of infestation. So let's say flour in your cabinet, uh, your flour, your your wheat flour that you bake with. You don't have to check that because there's there's almost is it possible there? Sometimes there's there's bugs in there or you see them crawling around. Yeah, I bought in a box of matzah. We're inside the plastic. I've seen stuff crawling around. Now that doesn't mean I have to check my matzah before I eat it because the statistical risk is so low and the chance of finding an a insect in one of those ty- in that type of things is so low that I don't have to check it. So it's the same thing here, it's, it's called what the, the language they use in the halachic language is called a miyot it's a minority that's not commonly found, or that is even if it is commonly found, but it's a minority therefore biblically speaking I don't have to do it, I'm not concerned about it so he's saying this leniency of shalom p'salim of God guards the fool, the, the simple only applies when the statistical risk is so low that it's, it's halachically speaking, it's negligible, okay? So that would be uh, a sort of, uh, he's saying he's very much qualifying this leniency, because any time we have a real statistical risk and what's that? what, th- that would maybe even have to be over 50% risk, that's when this doesn't apply. But he's saying is, anything, anytime the statistical risk is so low that it's not uh, uh, that, that it's, not, it's negligible, it's less than, and again, what that means, I'm not defining. I don't know the, defini- the exact definition of the statistical risk. He's saying it doesn't apply. So that would obviously change things as far as, let's say, Corona and going to Shul. Um, the, according to the first chat, if everyone's going to Shul, the Shul's reopened, so then technically society's doing it, we could do it, even though we know there's a statistical danger involved, and there's a real one. We're still allowed to do it, maybe, according to the first explanation we said, according to Ari Blach, etc. But according to this explanation, he's saying, no, once there's a real statistical risk involved that's no longer negligible from the halachic perspective, then you can't rely on this leniency that God guards the the simple. Okay? And there's Achiez, there's other... um, great rabbis who've written about this in the past, who say something similar, he told, one of them is actually told about a case of birth control, where, uh, not birth control, where a woman, right, a woman, a birth control where a woman, doctors told her she can't get pregnant, and he says, he prohibits her, he says she has to use birth control, because once there's a statistical risk involved, a real risk, where the doctors are saying there's a real risk, of course you you can't rely on this, on this leniency of Shem R'Ipsayim Hashem, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, the, the actual definition, the, the actual translation is pessy which means a fool. God guards the fools. <laughs> Um, that's the actual definition. I think for politically correct reasons, everyone changes it in the English and they write the simple because it sounds sort of degrading. We're saying everyone's fools for, for doing many of these things. Yes. Ah, uh, so th- it's a good question. It's sort of like the red meat question, but I'll just tell you one thing to speak to your point. So the, there is a Rishon, an early authority, Truma Sadeshan, writing in the I don't know, 1200s, 1300s, who brings. Uh, he has a whole long response about this, um, about a woman. You know, the Gemara says that if a woman had, she's on her th- third husband died, you shouldn't marry her. It's prohibited to marry that woman. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> clearly she's she's not doing well with her husbands, either. This, she's putting cyanide in their oatmeal, or. Uh, or, you know, whatever reason, don't stay away from this woman whose third husband has died already. Well I don't know. I haven't watched it yet. I don't have Netflix, so... So, uh... Um, so, but anyway, the, the point being is that... So the Gemara talks about that, and he has a response on um, discussing this. Is it, you know, is, is we, we do have to be careful, because he brings someone who's writing to him who wanted to marry a widow who was going on her third husband okay and, and he uh, had this question so he says there by the way he brings this concept of Shom Pisaim Mashem, that we see everyone does it and if every society does it at large they're not makbed they're not careful about this you don't have to worry about it but he says for and exactly your point Shelley for a Talmud Chacham, he says you don't really have this leniency Talmud Chacham, he says um, I'm trying to read it inside here in the Hebrew he says, um Sadashni's topic. He says do, he's not sure if this leniency of whatever the masses do applies to a scholar, to a Torah scholar, because he says you know more. Once you are aware of the danger, so you don't have this center. If you're just going, okay, everyone eats red meat. You know, I never, I'm, I never looked at the studies about red meat. I'm talking about myself. Even I never looked at it. You know, I see an article on CNN. Yeah, red meat is is not eaten in moderation. Very nice. Okay, I do. I try to keep it to a certain extent. I only have it. Once a day, instead of instead of uh, twice a day, and I, I don't eat red meat for breakfast, so I try to do that to keep that. Um, but but in essence, he's saying once you have the knowledge, you're no longer. Shelly's saying you're no longer in consider the simple anymore. Simple is the masses. Most of the masses don't have this information, and therefore they can do it. But once you're aware, there's a real inherent statistical danger here. It doesn't apply to you anymore. And he's assuming, as you're saying, a rabbi has the knowledge. Yeah. Huh. yeah the same thing I have a brother I just want to say I have a brother who, w- who went to medical school later in life and uh, he worked you know he was in his rotation the emergency room he, he was a guy well, you know, uh, he was one of these uh, flamboyant uh, you know, he was young at heart. He, you know, drove around in his. Remember those days? As he had a Pontiac Grand Prix. You know, those the old days with uh, You know, his roof went down and whatever. And he, you know, he would drive around without a seatbelt. And the second he did his rotation in the emergency room, he started with before seatbelt laws. He started wearing a seatbelt religiously. And he said he's never met a patient who came into the emergency room who was wearing a seatbelt. Um, sorry. The opposite. He's only met patients come to the emergency room who were wearing seatbelts. That means anyone who wasn't wearing a seatbelt doesn't make it to the emergency room. And, and then at that point, he started wearing a seatbelt religiously. He Made sure everyone in our family does. So this is so again. Once you have the knowledge, it's very hard to say, "Yeah, I will go go." Meaning then you're an idiot if you're still going with the flow. It's the same thing as my niece, who's now a pedi an uh, epidemiologist. And I was talking about she doesn't. She screams that my my brother hasn't left his house literally not gone shopping or nothing. Um, it's because of his daughter giving him this information regu- on a regular basis, the newest updated studies. So once you have the knowledge, it's very hard to rely on this leniency. Shelley, yeah. Go ahead. So, so good question. Good question. I'm not sure I know the answer because the question is, it's a bigger question. You're, you're asking a very good point because, and as far as I, well, I'm not sure about this, I've seen different um, perspectives, but. If, is it just referring to talmud Chacham, or is it referring to physicians, people of knowledge? just a term, colloquial term used in, in, in Jewish circles for a person of knowledge is talmud Chacham it's a Torah scholar, but, but it doesn't mean Torah scholar, meaning or is it referring to anyone who has the knowledge so let's say today as we're saying, if you're a physician and you have privy to certain studies and medical journals and now you know the real truth, based on, these, on on the studies you've read, so does your halacha change because now you're privy to smell So it's a good question. The context that he's talking about here was, again, it's some type of heebie-jeebie thing of, of a widow, you know, this, this black widow, whatever they call, who keep on, their husbands keep on dying. So, so that's more of a, it's not a, I don't know if it's statistics, in that case, I don't know if you could apply science there. Karma, right? So, so again, so it's a good question you're asking, Shelly. And he's assuming that Talmud Chacham is aware of this, of this Talmud that says don't marry him. Most people, okay, listen. She seems like a nice lady. She's attractive, so uh, you know, okay. So she killed three husbands. That's not relevant to me. Well, it's a, it's a good point, but the, the by the way, most people don't agree with the Trumas Adash, and This this opinion that says it's not applicable to Talmidei Um Not everyone agrees with the most argue with him and say, there's no difference. Once you have the concept, you can't start saying, well, for this person, there's one Shulchan Aruch, for this person, there's another Halacha. It, usually, Halacha doesn't work with that. But he clearly seems to be applying that um, in that case. So, so, getting, so that's reason rationale number two for this Halachic principle. Rationale number three of God Guards the Simple is a, an interesting quotation in the Binyan Siyam He's more contemporary. Probably died fifty, sixty years ago. So he has an interesting response, and something we've touched upon in the past, which is, as we know, the the. When you do something dangerous, or quote-unquote dangerous, when you, you survive the dangerous incident, you have to bench Gomo. When you come back to Shul, you go ahead and you make a special blessing, you call up to the Torah. The whole question today with people with Corona had it, they recovered, they can't do the gomel. do they do it on Zoom, etc. But we're not getting into that question. But So he asks an obvious question, meaning let's say he says, crossing the sea, when you cross the ocean... So you come to dry land. You're supposed to bench Gomu. You do this blessing today. It used to be you actually brought an offering in the temple in the old days. So he asks the question: says if it's dangerous to cross the sea and you have to think you have to make a special blessing. So why do we permit you to cross the sea? That's his question. How are you allowed to do it to begin with if it's dangerous, as we just stated many times? Danger is uh, something that's dangerous is prohibited to do halachically speaking. So he actually poses this question and he says. What he answers is a fascinating uh, contrast. He, he discusses. He says um, first of all, he says that it's permitted based on this concept of shom psaim Hashem. It's part of everyday life. People have to do business. They have to go and cross the sea, by the way. And, and therefore, he does want to say it could be. Well, we'll get to that. It's a different opinion, but but he says that he makes he differentiates between what's called, and he says so. He goes into this discussion of what's the rationale behind. Show God guards the simple. What does that mean? If it's dangerous, how come you're allowed to do it? So he says that there's a difference between a present danger and a future risk. Okay? He goes into this whole concept. He brings re- proofs from various cases in the Talmud. The Talmud, by the way, says in Tractate Brochot that if you're davening in the middle of your Amida and a snake comes around, you don't stop uh, praying. That's what the Talmud says. But then the Talmud goes on to say if it's a scorpion comes, you do stop. Okay, So a lot of discussion. What's the difference between a scorpion and a snake? So he wants to say that the, dif- the difference is snakes are not really a clear and present danger. Not all snakes. The snakes usually only bite if you, if you start up with them. They're not going to come and just bite you for no reason, as opposed to scorpions. Um, but his, his main difference is, he says, uh, he, he says uh, his main difference is he says that a clear, we're not no it's, When we allow Shomer P'sayim Hashem, this leniency of taking a risk, it's only if it's a clear and present danger. But a future risk, he says, we can rely on. Like we said, the majority. Uh, normally, he says, when it comes to danger, we don't, even if it's a minority danger, you have to be careful. You can't, you can't put endanger your life even if there's a if there's a small risk. When it comes, that's if it's a present danger. But he says, if it's a future danger, there's no danger right now. Let's say going on a boat, the boat is safe. You're getting on a ship there's no problem, um, as long as it's not the Titanic, you're going, you're, you're, there's no coronavirus on the cruise, so everything's safe, okay, there might come up, yes, in the future, you know, people might get coronavirus at the buffet, um, there might be, uh, um, um, you know, if it hits an iceberg, right, but that's a future risk, he says, right now, you're doing something safe, going on a ship is safe, there are potential future risks, so he says, that's where we say you can rely on the majority. The majority of cases, ships cross the sea without any problems. Okay, So therefore he says that's why it's permitted. So he's qualifying again this leniency to only future risks. Um, where he says, then we don't have to. You can, you can rely on majority as opposed to present risk. So let's say we violate Shabbat, even for present risk, even if it's a very small percentage, small statistical danger, we still allow you to violate Shabbat. But he's saying, only that's only in that case. But if it's a future risk, we're not going to call that a risk if the majority sa- cases, like we're saying, let's say even in cigarette smoking, majority cases. Um, it's future risk, and the majority of people don't get sick smoking, if it's true what you trying to say. I don't know the statistics the, myself, but... but uh, so that's what he, so he's very much qualifying this, again, the leniency, by saying it only applies to future risk, and there, over there we can rely on the majority. That's what he's saying. But if it's a current risk, he says you can't, you can't, uh, you can't do it. Second... Yeah, similar to that, very similar to that concept. But he's applying it here to Shem P'sayim Mashem. Over there, we're applying it to Pikach Nefesh. He's applying it here to to self endangerment, or putting yourself in danger in general. So that's that's what he said. Okay. Now again, not everyone agrees with him. Some say the difference between. Uh, The reason why we're allowed to go on a ship is only because, for Parnasa purposes, meaning to take a cruise just for pleasure, you wouldn't be allowed to put yourself in danger. If you're, as we discussed in the past, there's a higher threshold of danger when it comes to making money. Us Jews, we like, uh, we allow things, halachically speaking, even for the sake of money. So you might be allowed a higher threshold of risk. He understands the reason why we allow you to cross the sea is only because of Parnasa, But just for pleasure, you wouldn't be allowed to go on a cruise, according to this. Uh, Interestingly interestingly enough, number four because we're running out of time to get to number four. So explanation number four is also very. This most don't agree with this explanation, but they say the concept of Shom Pseym Hashem. They're also qualifying. is only limited to cases of mitzvah Um, where we have a different principle. It says Shom Mitzvah layada Ra. When you're performing a mitzvah. you don't, um, you don't, no harm will come to you in the performance of a mitzvah. So they understand, if you look at all these cases in the Talmud, by the way, the the third opinion I just mentioned, where he says it's about future risk, he also says, he proves proof from the Talmud that if you look at all the cases in the Talmud of uh, danger, are all cases of future risk. Let's say birth control. She might become pregnant and lose, stop lactating, etc. They're all future risks, and the majority of cases are still fine. So he proves that from all the four cases where we bring in the principle of Shom HaP'sai Hashem, God guards the simple, are all limited to cases of future risk. He shows you that's another thing. But now in, in, in opinion number four, he explains that this principle of God guards the simple is only applicable in a case of mitzvah, um, because we have a, this principle that states when one is in the midst of performing a mitzvah, no harm will become. So this again would apply to going back to shul. One could make that argument. By the way, both of these, both of these last qualifications could apply to shul because opening up our shuls again. Because one is, it's a future risk. It's not a. There's no risk in going to the shul presently. You're not going to get sick and drop dead in the shul, um, right? That's number one. So it's a future risk, and the majority of people won't get sick going back to shul, right? Um, so that would work technically to reopen our shuls. The third, the fourth opinion we're saying, technically also would work because you could argue it's a mitzvah. In the context of mitzvah, we have a principle of shom psaim hashem. He's saying, and it's limited to mitzvah, to a case of mitzvah where you're performing a mitzvah, where then, um, you no, know, we assume no harm will come from mitzvah. Most people argue, by the way, and say if you're doing something inherently dangerous, of course it's not applicable. Um, the concept of of no harm will come from doing a mitzvah. Um, so, for example, I was once picking up uh, the get rabbi, rabbi, uh, what's the, I can't remember his name, green, green, green black, okay, from the airport to take him to a get, and we were let, his flight landed late, going to U.S., it was like, a, we were like 45 minutes late to the get already when I picked him up, an hour, and the people were waiting, and he wanted to make sure the husband doesn't leave and decide not to do it, so I was speeding back from the airport to bring him to, the, to do the get, so he said, listen, stop speeding, what are you doing? I said, listen, we're not going to get a ticket, we're, we're doing a mitzvah. No harm could come when you're in the case of a mitzvah. He says, yeah, that that's, that's, doesn't apply when you're doing something inherently dangerous. So he, he was the opposite. He said, if you're doing something, you know, you can't, going on the way to the mitzvah, I'm not going to look when I cross the street. I'm going to walk in front of an 18-wheeler truck. That's ludicrous. He's saying if you're doing something dangerous, it's not applicable. He's saying normally, in the normal sense, when you're doing something that's not risky, that's not inherently dangerous, so you can apply this rule that no harm will come from doing a mitzvah. You're not going to get a ticket. But once you, if you're doing something, what? Well, right. Where are yeah, you Exactly. Um, so that's what he said there. Actually, I had a, a story I always tell over. I'll end with this story. Rabbi Lifty, um, was the original um, Roshkotl and Torch, so he, uh, he was once, he, I used to learn with him in the afternoons, and one day this, in the afternoon, he came to learn, and uh, he looked like depressed. And I said, what's the matter? He so he was down. So he said, I don't understand. I was just driving to Seder and uh, coming to learn on the way to Mitzvah, and I got stopped by a cop. And I, I don't understand how that could happen. And the halacha says, can't be harmed when you're doing a mitzvah. I was on my way to do a mitzvah and I got a ticket. So he, he like was very down about it. It doesn't fit with the Gemara. What was I doing wrong? <coughs> so then like an hour later while we were learning, all of a sudden his eyes lit up. He said, I just realized why it happened. He said that he, as he was passing, he was on the way, he passed the bus stop, you know, bus shelter. And there was a very attractive woman there. He looked at the woman, he said, you know, uh, he looked at the woman, eye candy, and he said, "That's when the sirens went off. Just at that time, he realized." When so he looked at the pretty woman. So that at that point, he wasn't doing the mitzvah anymore. He was, he was looking at a pretty woman. That's when he got the ticket. So, so uh, it doesn't always help. So the bottom line is, um, so, so getting back just to finish off here because I gotta I gotta go to my next class. But the bottom the bottom line is these are four explanations. Again, some of them, this might be a rationale to apply to opening, reopening the shuls. Again, me personally, I'm a Torah scholar, I, I know statistics. I'm going to stay out of shuls, but I'm saying it's for the masses. It could be this is something that is applicable, especially if society at large we're saying is reopening, um, and the masses are uh, seem to not give a darn anymore about uh, anything, about social distancing. Again, maybe stupidly so, and there are risks involved, but... Maybe we can apply this principle of God guards the simple, and at least according to some of these rationales, it would be applicable here. Again, according to rationale number two, I just want to be clear, it says once there's a real statistical risk, this thing falls falls to the wayside, we don't apply this principle anymore, so then it wouldn't work. But according to really reasons number one, three and four, technically speaking, you could maybe apply this principle to reopening our shoes, Um, especially if they're already open and people are are doing it. So now I have a question, should I go or not? So so you technically, you might be able to rely on this to go.